0: We go okay. <clears throat> we're beginning this book, Philippians, and I asked you when I left in June for my sabbatical that you would focus on this book in your own study, and I know many of you have. And, and we're going to go back to that now once again to to learn together uh, uh, even more. I'm quite sure God blessed you, and we'll continue to do so. And even as I preach today, I hope that you'll see things maybe that that. I point out but also something, oh wait, that's new or that's a good reminder that you forgot about. See, that's what the scriptures can do for us when we have an open heart and mind to God, he can show us the thing that we need to see now, the thing that we need to see today. And that's my hope and prayer whenever I preach, and certainly in these moments this morning. So this entire series of messages from Philippians is is just this. Positively present, because that is what God is with us, positively present. It's not just that God is, it's not just that God is here and that God is near, because if you stop right there, then that might feel intimidating to you, that that might feel overbearing or demanding somehow that God is right here, God is present. Yeah, and I, sometimes I wish he wasn't. No, that's not the God revealed in the scriptures. The God revealed through Jesus Christ is one that comes to us with love and mercy and forgiveness. And, and, and this, this God, the, the only true God, knows all about us and still loves us. Amen. Now, who in your life loves you that much? I hope you have at least somebody that does. But we, we understandably and in, instinctively hide the dirt in our lives, the stuff in our lives, the things we're ashamed of we wish we never had done. But God still knows it's there, and he doesn't look at us and say, Okay, Paul, you put on a nice show for everybody, but I know what's going on in here. You get yourself straightened out. Then I'll think about loving you. That's not God. He is positively present, and that never stops. And then to take that understanding of that truth of the presence of God in us, around us, and with us, to others around you, that that you are positively present with them, motivated by the presence of God in you, and they back to you. That's what the church is. The church isn't just... What we do on Sunday, sing and pray and worship, and that's great, and, and, and have teaching like yesterday and, and fellowship after church next week and a choir, all that is wonderful. But at the end of, of, of the day, the connection that we have with one another in Christ is what matters the most, and, and, and that connection needs to keep on running deeper, and that's what we're going to see today from as, as we begin this, this letter to a church in a place called Philippi. My my standard joke there is Philippi is something you do with fruit. I always have to wait for it, but it usually (laughs) hits. It's a city in the ancient world in Macedonia, which is the uh, peninsula in the northeast end of the Mediterranean. it's, It's east of Italy. And... Macedonia, now it's, it's, it's some distance from Jerusalem where the church began, and we'll get touched on that in a moment. Um, and there is a, a church there that Paul started, and, and you can read the details about that in Acts chapter 16. I'll just quickly tell you the story of that so, so we understand who it is that he's writing to. You see, scriptures aren't just something from God to us. I mean, they are that, and this letter does that but it also had an original intent, an original purpose, an original audience, if you will, and it really was literally an audience. So Timothy, uh, most likely, took this letter in his hand, traveled all the way from Rome to where Paul was when he wrote this, all the way to Philippi, and then either he read it to the church, or maybe one of the leaders there at the church read it, and they all gathered with great excitement. Oh, Paul... Wrote a letter, Paul wrote some, some words to us, some teaching, and, and they would gather everyone from the church to, to come and, and hear what Paul had to say. And thankfully, that's been kept and translated and passed down and is part of the Bible. But it had that original purpose to these people. In Acts chapter 16, Paul has a, um, a partner in the gospel named Silas, and Paul didn't go alone. He was with Barnabas for a while, then he was with Silas. Uh, He had other people helping him constantly. When Jesus sent out the apostles to go to city to city to to proclaim good news, he didn't send them alone either. And that in itself is is a good reminder that as, as followers of Jesus Christ, whatever kind of work we're doing for God, we shouldn't you know, be doing it alone. We should have other people assisting, helping, encouraging alongside us as much as possible. So Paul's companion was Silas, and they went into the city of Philippi, and they looked for a synagogue. Now, that was the the practice that they had in the many other cities they went to to start new churches and, and, and to preach the gospel to the people in those cities. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, they were quite a distance away from Jerusalem at this point, so the further away you get from Jerusalem, the less likely there's going to be a Jewish community in those particular towns, at least at this time in the world. There were some Jews in the town, but Paul felt it really important that when he went to a new town, he started with his own people, and then he also opened it up to everyone. So he found that there was no synagogue in Philippi, but there was a small Jewish community. Now, the way that a synagogue worked, a synagogue is is kind of, in a sense, it's like a church, okay? It's the place that the Jews gather to this day for for worship and community and fellowship and all those things. So it, it was not unlike that even back in Bible times. So if you're going to begin a synagogue in that time, according to the laws of Moses, you had to have 10 men, 10 Jewish men who wanted to do this or dedicated to it. Then you could start a synagogue, and there was a whole process for that. The fact that there was not a synagogue, but there were Jews there, meant that there were not enough men to do it or not enough men interested in doing it. And so what you can do then is you establish what's called a Place of prayer. A place of prayer is a place where you gather to do exactly that. And usually it was some outside location, most typically along some kind of a body of water. And so, because there weren't enough men to start a synagogue, maybe none, but there was at least one woman, and she had other friends with her at a place of prayer along the body of water, and that woman's name is Lydia. And Lydia happened to be a woman that was very successful. She was in the purple cloth business. And purple cloth, of all the materials that were used in the ancient world for clothing and other purposes, it was, the, it was very expensive. It was actually a lucrative business. And, and the fact that she had, was, was doing that indicated that she, she, she had means. She, she, had, uh, she had money and, and she used that well and she worshiped God, and when she heard the gospel from Peter, excuse me, from Paul and Silas, she responded and said, yes, I want to follow Jesus like you do. And she said, you know what? I, I, I'd like you to come to my home. And she, and she invited them over, and they, they preached the gospel to her whole household. Now, as, as a rich person in that time, household didn't just mean family. Household meant servants. So her entire household heard the gospel and also believed. And so that was the start of the church. And then not long after that, Paul and Silas were out in the streets, you know, teaching and preaching, and there was a woman in that town who had some kind of a of a strange gift of of uh, fortune-telling, and there was a man that was using that to, to make money off of her. And she took notice of Paul and Silas and started following them around. And everywhere they went, she would yell and say, listen to these men. They know the way of salvation. Now, she may not have been saying that with sincerity. It may have been in a mocking kind of way. But Paul ignored it for a while, but eventually he thought, you know what, This this is getting really this is annoying. I, I, I got to put an end to this. So he looked at the woman and kind of drove out that spirit in her that was causing her to do that or enable her to do that. And she was set free of that. Well, the, the man who owned her basically saw that The thing he was making profit off of, his cash cow was now gone, and he got angry, and he got his other business owner friends to to come out against Paul and Silas and this new religion they were establishing, and basically a riot ensued in Philippi. Paul and Silas were arrested, blamed for the riot, beaten and thrown in jail. So there they are in this dirty little jail with one guard on duty overnight. There's other prisoners there as well. And they sat there, wounded in chains, and they sang praises to God. <laughs> wow. It's a neat story. Now, if, if I'm there, if this Paul was in the exact circumstance, can I say I would do that? Mm-hmm. Hopefully, eventually, I, I'd like to think I would, but I haven't been there, so I don't know. Okay? But that was Paul and Silas' choice to rejoice while in prison. And the other prisoners listened. And maybe some of them started joining in as they got to know the songs. And then an earthquake happened. And miraculously, the bars of the jail were broken open. The bonds on Paul and Silas and all the prisoners were were off of them. Every one of them in the middle of the night could then get up and, and run out and escape. And there was only one guard to try and stop them. They stayed. I sat right there. They were safe. The earthquake settled down. Walls were going to crumble on them. And the jailer, thinking the worst, they're all going to run, and I'm going to be in big trouble. And the trouble he would have gotten into would have been severe punishment. In fact, it was so severe that he let these guys go, earthquake or not, he felt the better option was to take his own life. So he picked up a sword was going to take his own life with the sword. And Paul saw that. He said, No, stop. We're all here. Look around. Now, the jailer heard the praises also before the earthquake. And he saw these men here. And he saw this man who was leading the songs. And he, he dropped to his face right before Paul and Silas. He says, What must I do to be saved? And Paul said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you and your entire household. We'll be saved. And that happened. And he took them back to, took Paul and Silas back to his home and met his family. They told him about Jesus and they, they all believed and they were baptized that very night. And the next day there was quite an uproar about what happened. And then it turns out that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens and they were mistreated. It was, a the, the law was broken, Roman law by how they treated Paul and Silas. And Paul held them to account for that. It's not as if Paul said, oh, I'm a Christian, do what you want to me. No, he took advantage of, in an appropriate way, in the appropriate time, the rights that were due him as a citizen of that nation to say, you're breaking your own laws. What are you going to do about it? And when the town leaders figured that out, they were all apologetic and everything, and they, you know, took Paul out. And so, Paul stood up for his rights, but he did so with respect. That's a little reminder there as well. So, this is how the church started. Now, I said all of that to say this. So, so when you think of the Apostle Paul writing this letter, now, by the way, when he's writing this, he is a prisoner in Rome. Now, he's not in a prison cell. He's a He's under house arrest, basically. So he was fairly comfortable, as a prisoner goes, and he could actually uh, welcome friends to come in, like Timothy, and people could come and go. And Scripture even tells us that some of the people he reached with the gospel as he's preaching under house arrest were um, members of Caesar's household. Now, Caesar's household, again, is servants. There was probably hundreds of them. But some of them heard the gospel and believed in Jesus. Paul was waiting there under house arrest until he would be brought to trial before Caesar himself because of another riot that happened in Jerusalem sometime later, later from, from the first riot I just described. And so we don't know what the rest of the story was. The book of Acts ends very abruptly with that, and Paul was under house arrest in Rome. Now, this is when he wrote Philippians. Timothy's with him. He writes this down. And Timothy takes it to Lydia. Timothy takes it to the jailer and his family and Lydia's household. You know who else might have been part of that church? The other prisoners in that jail. It doesn't tell us that in Scripture, so I want to I make that clear. But those, those men saw that miracle. Those men were there, and those men stopped and didn't run. And then whenever their sentence was done, whether it was weeks or months or however length of time, assuming they were released, they could go find the church that Paul preached about, these people following this Jesus, and they connected and others were. Because the time from that that earthquake in Philippi when Paul started the church until he wrote this letter was about 10 years. Okay, so keep all of that in mind. So Paul is thinking about about those people, they are the church. It's faces, it's people, it's lives. That's what all churches are, isn't it? It's, it? it's real people, it's not this generic thing or not just a spiritual thing, it is spiritual but there are faces, there are lives attached to every church. So as we go through this entire book of Philippians I want you to focus with a PH, just to play with a word. <laughs> Philippians, focus. Three things. Positivity, encouragement, and be words. So positivity, I already talked about that. Encouragement, something that we can't have too much of. And be words, today, be confident. uh, Be humble, be thankful, believe. I think that is so important that as as I told you if you're here last week, Uh, Next Sunday, I'm going to have a calendar that I encourage all of you to take home. And on that calendar for the month of October, every day of the month is going to be a B word. So it might begin with be confident. Next day, be thankful, be humble, be joyful, etc. Every day, a different one. And also attached to that or connected with that will be a verse. Uh, Some of them will come out of Philippians, uh, Paul's many other writings, and perhaps other places in Scripture. So here's what I would like you to do, because we're going to do this together. Each day of October, we look at that same word, that same idea, and we we pray about it. Even if it's just real quick, oh, today is be thankful. Okay, God, I'm in a little bit of a hurry, and it's been tough, but I choose to be thankful. Show me how to be thankful today, amen. It might be that simple. If you have time to look at the scripture a little bit more, do that. I am also going to present a, a video devotional each day. Um, some of you may remember back during the pandemic, I was doing that, and, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna teach on that word just a little bit more, maybe three to five minutes or so that you can get, and that I'll be connected with the church Facebook page, and and uh, if Paul can help me figure that out, we'll put it on the on the, on the website too, but um, because what we're gonna do then is we are going to become together followers of Jesus in deeper ways because we continually become don't we? While, while we have that moment in our lives where, and hopefully you've done this at some point if you haven't, we hope you'll consider doing so But that where, where you said for the first time, yes Lord I know that Jesus died for me and, I, and I, I thank him for that and he knows all about me and still loves me and I accept that forgiveness, help me now to to walk in forgiveness and to live differently and and that's a process that never ends as long as you're in this world so we're going to continue to become together for the month of B in October alright let's go to these scriptures and um, we'll get through these this morning uh, the first six verses or so and I want to point out some things that I just talked about there but uh, there's Paul and Timothy as I mentioned described Timothy as like a son to Paul um, very close to him. He wrote two letters to him, you see later in, uh, in your New Testament. Servants of Christ, to all God's holy people. Now don't get caught up on that H word there, holy. Just put a W in front of it. Holy, or W-H-O-L-E. That really is what holy is pointing to, that we are whole people, or we... We learn to love God with our whole selves. We, we bring our whole selves into that relationship between us and God as we learn what that looks like and feels like and is, and then we also take our whole selves more and more to other people. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is, he responded rightly to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, you bring all of yourself into it, and that is a continual process. It runs deeper and deeper as we learn more at first, we learn to deal with the surface stuff that other people sees, and we, we don't want other people to see that anymore, and we, we, we'd like to be thought of better, and that's okay, and we want to change, but then it starts going a little bit deeper to, to our, our intentions, our motivations, in other words, why we do what we do. You can hide that for a while, but you can never hide it from God. And he looks at that not in a condemning kind of way, just in a welcoming way. Look, yeah, I see your, your motivation there, Paul. Come on. You, you're, I called you to more than that. You're, you're, you're better than that. I'll help you be better than that. And, and that is what being a holy person is. Not perfect and, you know, angel wings in heaven and glowing lights and all of that. No, holy is to be all of me given to you, Lord. Amen. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. So this is just a greeting line. And yet, who's he pointing out there? Overseers and deacons. So this church has been in existence now for 10 years. That is the church in Philippi. And when he wrote this, so there are leaders. There are overseers who are responsible for for the teaching and the administration, they are, they are, they are the pastors, the, the, the leaders of the church. The deacons are responsible for taking care of people's needs. And different churches and traditions use different titles for those particular ministries, but the idea is that there are leaders in place doing the work of God and organizing the work of God. This isn't a willy-nilly thing where we just get up every day and make up what the church is going to do. No, the church plans. Last, this past Wednesday night, the, the ministry council, that's what our leadership body a which community is called, we met together to do some planning, to do some evaluating, to work together to move forward. That's what churches need to do. And Paul is, is acknowledging those people in that greeting, and that's important too. The next two, next couple of words there in verse 2, grace and peace. It's not just a greeting. It's not just like saying, dear so-and-so. Grace and peace. Why those two words? Why does Paul use those two words in all of his letters at the start and sometimes at the end too? Because that is the essence of our faith. Grace from God through Jesus. He sees all about us and loves us and forgives us and, and we just need to come to Him and believe that that's true and to believe that it's true for me and for us. And we, we begin to learn how not just to be forgiven, but then to forgive. And you keep growing in that. Grace, the very essence of of what we have. It's not earned, it can't be. You don't get grace because you're good looking. You don't get grace because you got a lot of money, because you're talented, because you're highly educated. You don't get grace because of where you're born. You don't get grace because of um, you're, you're a man, you're a woman. You get grace because God loves you. Amen. Period. That's grace. And because we have that level of grace available to us, and that grace that that, if we're open to it, if we're willing, keeps working to those deeper places, way into our, our, our motivations and our true our true character, what's going on under the surface that that God patiently waits to get to. He doesn't force his way in. But when we allow his light to come into the dark corners of our our little household inside, what does he see? Yeah, that's hard sometimes, isn't it? But to believe that you are still loved there is hard, but it's worth it to accept that you're loved, to accept that you're forgiven, to accept that he has mercy, to accept that, and, and, and even the things you have pain about that you didn't cause, that, that were brought to you in some way or other. he also experienced that. The cross itself was, was just an incredible injustice upon a very innocent man. And he did so willingly, knowing it was going to happen. That's all grace. And because that level of grace, we have peace deep within which means I don't have to try to impress God. I don't have to look the part. I don't have to put on the happy face. I don't, I don't have to, to, to obey all of the rules. I don't have to do, do, and do, and do, like I talked about last week. I just have to be. I have to believe, and then I have to become. And even that isn't like a have to, it's like an opportunity to. An invitation is a better word. An invitation to become who you really are, who you were born to be, but sin got in the way. It kind of messed up the picture. So let's work on the sin. Jesus took care of that. That's grace. And now you have peace with him. So there's two words. You can blow right past them. You can spend so much time just understanding, once again, reminding, relearning what grace and peace is. And he writes this to you from... God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, that gift from God. Verse 3 then says, I thank my God every time I remember you. That's a, what a beautiful thing to say. I thank my God every time I remember you. Do you have people like that in your life? I mean, your, your family is around you. Um, well, well, with mine, their kids are grown, but we know when, those who are still at home. You know, So they're every day, and of course you love them and care for them. You're thankful for them, but there's also people in your life that you know, maybe you moved away or they did, you don't get to see very often, you cross paths with, you know, years ago, maybe even decades ago. But every time you think of them, you smile. Every time you think of them, you're glad for them. And you thank God for them. That's how Paul felt about Lydia when he remembered her. That's how Paul felt about the, the, the Philippian jailer and his family and the other people who were part of that church in the early days when he and Silas were there. A good thought. I've shared with many of you how um, in my young adult years, uh, I worked at Twin Pines Camp. That's where we had the baptism earlier this summer. It's a a Christian camp in in, um, Snydersville, Bartonsville area. And the people that I worked with for the summer, I was on staff there. I was a counselor. I was also eventually the the head of the staff and, and just really enjoyed every summer I spent there. The 30 or so people that were part of each of those versions of the staff for all those years, most of them are still dear friends with me. Some have passed on. But through social media, and this is one of the good things about it, you can connect with people that you haven't seen in a while you otherwise wouldn't have been able to. And I find find out about their stories and I think of them, and I feel like Paul. I thank my God every time I remember you. We had a great time, but not just a good memory of a good time years ago, but a, a bond that was created because of ministry. A bond that was created because we worked together. We, we laughed together. We cried together. Linda mentioned about Marie. We're going to feel that way about Marie before too long. <laughs> we're going to remember her. And Marie's going to remember all the years of the good times at Bushville Community Church, but mostly the ministry of Bushville Community Church. Mm -hmm. That's how this Paul felt about the Philippian church. And he says then in verse 4, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. So I said look for positivity. There's another one, joy. Pray with joy, an exciting prayer. He had other letters that he had to write that weren't so positive. Read 1 and 2 Corinthians. Oh, boy. <laughs> they were a mess. That church was, was immature and infighting, and Paul had a laundry list of things he had to address with them. He had this problem, he had this problem, he had this problem, and he dealt with it, but it was hard. It was hard. He even said that in the letter. This was a hard letter. But he gets the right to the Philippians. Ah, oh, yes. Oh, Lydia, I hope everyone's doing well and everyone else a part of the church. Thank, I thank my God for you. I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So again, it wasn't just the memory of the good times years ago. Hey, that was a great time with the earthquake. Well, at least we look back at it now maybe. No, it was the ministry that happened out of the earthquake and out of those lives being changed and touched and those baptisms that took place that very night in the household of the Philippian jailer. It it, it was the ministry that started and continued. And so from the first day until now, he is praying with joy. And then that sixth verse, and this is the word I shared with the kids, being confident of this. Now let's pause at that word confident for a moment. We think of confidence of that which we need, like with children or something we're going to do that maybe we feel a little unsure of, or maybe you've learned it really well. Those of you who had, have had a similar job for many years, a profession, a trade, whatever it is, you're pretty confident in what you do. You've learned, you've experienced it, you've been trained and, and you keep learning and you're confident in your job. When something's new, maybe not so much. But I also want to introduce another area of, of or another angle to look at that word at with. The root of the word is confide. When you confide in someone, You are trusting them. You are becoming very vulnerable because you are telling, presumably your friend, something that is deep and and maybe embarrassing, maybe hurtful, very delicate, and you're trusting them to keep the confidence, to not break the confidence. You are confiding in them and it is a risky thing. And, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'll bet if I did, and said, how many of you have had experience where you trusted someone that way and they broke confidence? What did that feel like? When you trusted them with something deep and hurtful and personal and they went and told somebody else. That's hard. That hurts. Paul believed with all of his heart about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of forgiveness and salvation that, that he first experienced on that road to Damascus when when the light from heaven and the voice of God came, and then he learned what that meant. And, and by the way, from that moment until he actually started started to preach at churches and in towns, that was several years. Okay? That was I was I was a while there. But um so so Paul is, is uh, he, he's writing this. He's glad for these people, but um, he's really bringing them up in prayer so that they would have confidence. He's confiding in them about his faith. Some of the towns he went to when he confided, he entrusted them with what was dear to his heart. They rejected it. They rejected him. He got thrown in jail and beaten lots of times, not just in Philippi. So it is a vulnerable thing to trust someone, to confide in. So he's writing here, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he's acknowledging what they have done, are doing, will carry it on to the completion. So what that tells me is that when I entrust God with my delicate, vulnerable self and heart, he won't hurt me. I trust him. I believe, and that truth manifests itself as we entrust that same confidence to other people and do share with them what's going on. They share with us, and we support one another, and we pray for one another. That's what the church does. That's what he's encouraging them to do, and ultimately, the confidence that we have together is from Christ himself who risked everything, who bared his very soul, who gave up his very body on a cross for all of us because of that deep love. And that's what it took to forgive and to guide. And that's how he's guiding your life if you let him. So we touched on a lot of things today. There's also good work there, the good work in you. Not good works like we're earning something, but what's good that you can be a part of? What work can you accomplish that God's given you the the hands, the mind, the voice to use for Him? Do it well, because your confidence to carry that out lies in Christ within you. He will help you get there. So what is helpful to you from this passage of Scripture this day? And that's always how we should look at Scripture. So if you can think of one thing. Maybe something I said, maybe something else you saw here, you were reminded of, something new. Take that principle, that truth, that word, and then bring that to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for the truth that we learn about you and about ourselves and help us to entrust you and be confident of your love as we carry that love, live that love at home, at work, at school, wherever we might be, and give us the confidence to know that you are with us always. In Jesus' name, Amen. Please stand for our closing song. That last verse in Philippians that Pastor read. He